If you remember last week when we started this book, the first chapter is broken up into basically three different parts. We see that in chapter 1, uh, we see verses 1 through 11, there was a warning that Paul was given to Timothy and to the believers there in Ephesus about being faithful and guarding, uh, be a guard of the faith in regards to making sure you are teaching sound doctrine. Because the false teachers, the false prophets, those false Christs were creeping into the church and causing some problems there. So Paul was warning to Timothy to make sure that he guards the faith, guards the, the truth, and make sure there's sound teaching of doctrine that was taught by Paul, by the disciples, by the apostles, um, that uh, God's truth. And that was one of the key responsibilities of a local church. A local church is to teach sound doctrine, to teach the truth, to teach the word of God. That is what a local church is responsible to do. And we are going to see two more responsibilities this, in this chapter uh, this, th today in regards to the responsibility of a local church. But in an emphasis from Paul to Timothy, the, the pastor that was set, up, uh, set there by Paul to guard the faith and to teach and make sure the sound teaching of the word of God is being done there. We see that it, there must have been difficult times there with all these false teachers and things going on and Paul having to be called by, called by God to move on that Timothy was to stay there. There must have been some tremendous challenges because Paul is exhorting Timothy to stay there in that job as the pastor in Ephesus to make sure that as his right-hand man that he is faithful to, as his right-hand man to ensure God's word and work remains in Ephesus. And we'll continue to see that and pick up here in verse 12 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. And we will see two more things. And one is, is in verses 12 through 17, we see that uh, an example of Paul or the witness of Paul. And in verses 18 through 20, the wisdom of Paul about defending the faith. We see here in verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus." So Paul was entrusted with the gospel. Paul was entrusted with the gospel by Jesus Christ himself to go out and teach and to share and to and make sure people know the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did that, and we see here in verse 12 that Jesus Christ himself enabled him to do that. Why? Because we see in verse 12, he counted him as faithful in doing that work. God will enable you to do a work. What is it at work he's called you to do in the ministry? What has he called you to do? There are things that God has called you to do. The question is, is he's enabled you to do it. Will he find you and count you to be uh, faithful in doing the work that he's called you to do? Sometimes people get a calling on their life, but they're not faithful in that calling. 
Because it's too hard. It's too inconvenient. It doesn't follow what they want to do because it may take God may take you down paths and places and you know people that bring in your life that you're just not comfortable with. Well, that should not sway you from being faithful in what God's called you to do and enabling you to do it. Because so many times we go by our feelings or go by a, these, 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 these situations and circumstances that God has allowed in your life, you and I forget that he is in control of your life as a believer. And if he's allowed that, you should stay strong and steadfast in what he's called you to do. But so many times we get diverted because we're emotionally just not stable. Because we haven't been in the word of God. We haven't been in prayer. We haven't been staying focused and staying in the fellowship to be, to be protected and guarded and encouraged through that fellowship. And so we find ourselves being wanting to wander or to run or to avoid doing what God's called you to do. Not Timothy. Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. And Paul knew that he was a faithful young man in the, in the ministry to be there by himself because Paul could no longer do all this stuff. In this case, be there in Ephesus, stay in Ephesus because God had moved him on to do some other things. But here we see the second responsibility of the local church. And he, Paul was a tremendous example of this, a witness of this, and that is to proclaim the gospel. A local church is to proclaim the gospel. It's not to be an entertainment center. It's not to be some social club. It is to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear the good news because they are dead in their trespasses. They're, they're entrapped by their sin. They need to be set free because they, in many cases, as Paul says, I was ignorant and unbelief. I didn't know what I was doing. I just believe it was the right thing to be doing, but it was completely against God. As we know Paul's life. So here Paul was entrusted in the, with the gospel because Jesus enabled him and found him faithful in doing this. And we often seek in Christian service as a matter of volunteering. Oh, I'll volunteer at the church. Oh, I'll volunteer at the local uh, missionary work or, or food kitchen. We see many times as a Christian, we do, what we do for God is just to volunteer. But if you know the scriptures, it's not just being a volunteer at all. Because as a Christian, regarding your calling to do what God has called you to do in his church, we are not volunteers. We're actually slaves. We're actually servants of God. Because as a child of God, you're a servant, not just some volunteer. Because volunteers have a choice of saying, eh, I don't feel like volunteering today. Oh, I feel like volunteering today. I'll volunteer if it's only what's in my little box and what I'm willing to do. But that's not a child of God. We're a, we're a, we're a slave. We're a servant of God. We just do what he calls us to do regardless of what we think and feel. Because it's right and it's good because God's calling us to do it. And so here we find ourselves, we have a duty bound as servants of, of Jesus Christ and be faithful and expect servants to be faithful. He does expect us to be faithful. So what is the good news out of all this? And I think this is great news when I think about this. Is that you don't have to be smart to be faithful. You don't have to be smart to be faithful. You don't have to be talented and gifted to be faithful. 
Faithfulness is something very down to earth and very basic. Every one of us can be faithful in the sphere of what God has called you to do in the ministry of the church. He can give you the ability and God has given us the ability to be faithful if we're willing to be faithful. Many people today do not see the value to be faithful. I'm faithful because that's what I want to do. And I'm willing to do it. And I'll make sure I'll do it. But if I don't feel like doing it, I don't have to be faithful in doing it. Sometimes people say, yeah, I'll be there. I'll do that. But inside their head, you, they're, not, they have no, they're not going to do it. They're not willing to say it to you. But their yes is not their yes, and their no is not their no. I'm not talking about someone who, you know, forgot or something to that effect. I'm talking about downright someone, some people just don't want to be faithful because they don't want to be faithful to have to do those things. It's a struggle sometimes to do what God's called you to do. He'll get you out of your comfort zone. When you think you're all nice and smooth and everything's going so go comfy and I like this because it's easy and I don't have any obligations or commitments. I can really just kind of go with the flow. Watch out. That's when God says, okay, let me give you a circumstance you have to deal with because you have to trust me each and every day. You just don't get to do an autopilot when it comes to being a child of God. Because he directs your paths. You don't get to direct your paths. And when you try, that's when you're going to have some difficulty and you'll find yourself not being faithful. But we see that many people don't see the value to be faithful. They will be faithful if they feel like it or if it benefits them. It fits into their little mold or idea. But we should be faithful right where we are at now. Now I'll be faithful next week. This week is, you know, it's a difficult week. You know, I said I would do it, but it's, it's, it's difficult. I didn't get enough sleep last night. No, we're to be faithful at now. Our faithfulness is shown in the small things we see in the scriptures. If you're faithful in the small things, then you'll be, he'll give you bigger things to do for him. And so we need to be faithful in these small things. We need to remain in our faithfulness to what God's called us to do. And then know that he will enable you and strengthen you and encourage you to continue to do the hard things. Not just simple things. And he says in the scripture here, he says he, that he put me into the ministry. If you notice this, Paul did not do a self-described, I'm going to be a minister. I'm going to do this. I will do this. And I'm going to make sure I get this. No. Paul recognized that God put him in the ministry to serve him. That ministry is a very simple word of meaning service. I'm going to serve God. So many people will say, oh, you're in the ministry? It's some, like some spiritual higher word out there. Some, some, some special high spiritual uh, position. When in actuality, when you look at the original language, that word is very simple. You're going to just serve. Plain fact, you're just going to work hard and sweat and you're going to serve. That's what it means. But so many times people summon something bigger. But Paul understood that I was put into the ministry 
Even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor of God's people, this was a great honor to serve God in, from Paul's perspective. That God went to Paul and said, yes, I know you were a blasphemer. I know you were a persecutor. I know you killed people. But you still, I have a calling for you to serve. I have a calling, a purpose, and I'm going to able to do it. I'm going to put you into the ministry to do the work that I'm calling you to do. Even though he was formally, a key word, a formally a blasphemer, a formally a persecutor, a formally an insolent man. Why? How? Because of the mercy of God. Because he says there in verse 13, I obtained mercy. Because I was ignorant in the unbelief of, of what I was doing. With, I thought I, what I was doing for God was the right thing. So many people are out there living a life contrary to the word of God. And you ask them, have you ever heard the, the good news about Jesus Christ saving you from your sins? Oh, I know all about Jesus. Oh, you do. And you still live the way you do. Oh, interesting. Your conduct doesn't line up with that, that truth. So, but I always say, Satan knows who Jesus is. That doesn't make you saved. So what we find here is Paul is really just sitting there and he's, he's giving these words. Remember, he's writing a letter to Timothy. And he's trying to encourage Timothy to remain in Ephesus to do the work that God's enabling him to do, that enabled Paul to do, that God will enable him to do in Ephesus, even though it's so difficult to be in the ministry in Ephesus. It's like that Timothy wanted to leave emphasis or leave the ministry or leave the situation because he felt unworthy or incapable or, or, oh, Paul, you abandoned me. All these feelings. Wait, Paul didn't abandon you. Paul, God had called him to go do something. And Paul is trying to encourage him. No, stay faithful, young man. Stay faithful in what God's called you to do, what you're prepared to do. But Paul is assuring Timothy, if there is any unworthy thing in your head right now, Timothy, that thinks you're disqualified to be the pastor in Ephesus or to be, continue to do the work that you're somehow you don't know what to do and how to, to, to help these people in this ministry, Paul's really encouraging, says, you're not unqualified. You're not unworthy. Think about my life. Look at how bad I, where I came from, and God can use me. He can use you. And over the years being in the ministry, that happens many times when you sit down with people. People say, God would never use my life. You have no idea where I come from. Oh, no, I probably have. I've met a few people probably just like you over the years. And yes, God has used you in a mighty way. If you've ever been to a pastor's conference with me and met some of these pastors that are, have mega churches around the world and, and faithfully around, the, you know, just faithfully. These are ex-drug addicts and you know, uh, being uh, in prison. I mean, there's just all kinds of backgrounds. And you're looking, going, and they're pastors ministering to people? Because you just see the people after God has done a work in their life. You didn't see their previous life. You see their post-Christ post life. And so you, it's hard to believe that people used to live so contrary to the word of God. And now you see them and they just seem to got it all together, it seems like. No, God can use you. Paul is saying to Timothy, and I'm saying you to you today, God can use you. It doesn't matter what your past is. 
That's your former life. That is not who you are anymore. Once you give your life to Christ, you're a new beginning, a new person, a new, new creation in Christ. You need to now just start living it. You need to grow and mature. And that's why we study the word of God and we, and we continue to seek after him because he wants to do a new work in your life if you allow him. He'll enable you. You just have to be faithful to him. Continue to show up regardless of how you feel. Why? Because Paul, Paul recognized and he says to Timothy because he was ignorant in his unbelief. Now, ignorant and unbelief does not give you an excuse to sin. Do you hear me? Your ignorance and your unbelief does not give you an excuse to sin. But they do invite God's mercy into your life to change that life because sin in ignorance and unbelief makes one less guilty than the believer who sins willfully. But remember, Paul's saying right here very clearly, it wasn't his ignorance that saved him. It was his exceeding, uh, exceedingly abundant grace of God. God's unmerited favor is what saved him from that ignorance and unbelief. But remember, willful disobedience will trigger God's wrath upon someone. There'll be, there'll be discipline that will come upon someone. You can go back and read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. But God will deal gently with the ignorant and misguided who doesn't know any better. Hebrews 5, 2. He'll, he'll, he'll come along someone who living right now in a life that is contrary to the word of God, doesn't know they're going against the word of God. He will come gently with them, trying to, through the long suffering and kindness, to try to get them to understand they need to turn their life over to Jesus. But if you've already done that, and you've, or you have it, but you know exactly what you're doing is going contrary to the word of God, watch out. You will be disciplined. But Paul recognizes the key to his transformed life and what he's trying to get across to Timothy in these letters is being used by God is because of the grace of our Lord. And that's the only reason why he's able to do what he's doing. I love it being in the ministry for so long. And what I've learned very early on is God often uses the very people who are so unaware, or I should say, who are so aware of their inadequacies. They're so aware of their inadequacies. They're so aware of their failure after failure in life that they're the ones that God actually uses the most. Ask Moses. He understood his shortcoming. I cannot speak. You want me to go out there and speak for you? Are you crazy, God? Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, I can't do this. I'm young. I'm too young. I, I, don't, I don't know nothing here. No, no. God can use your youth to do tr tremendous things. And then, of course, Paul. I am the most sinful man and standing in front of everyone. I am the least. But look what God used in Paul's life in the ministry. So anytime you find yourself saying, I don't have anything to contribute. Perfect. <laughs> you're probably going to be, you're going to be the next one in, in the ministry doing some great thing for God. Because that's how, he, that's how he works. Because he gets all the credit 
He gets all the glory because you know what he's going to do through your life, you're incapable of doing. Only God working through your life made you capable and able to do. So these people are usually also not only the ones who understand their inadequacies are the ones that God will use, but they're the easiest to work with. Because when you work with someone who knows that they're so inadequate, that it's only by the grace of God that they're even doing what they're doing in the, in the ministry of some form or fashion, they're the easiest to work with because they are so eager to learn and to grow because they know they need to so desperately to do this. The hard ones to work with are the ones who come to this point in their life where they think they know it all. They know what's best. They're the ones that are the hardest to work with in the ministry. Why? Because they're unteachable. They're not moldable. They're not shaped. They're not willing to bend away from what they think is already right. And so they're not willing to do that. So Paul's working with Timothy, who is very appliant, very someone who's workable, teachable. And that's why that relationship between him and Paul was so beautiful. And that's why Paul trusted Timothy to continue to be there and remain in Ephesus to do the work that, that they were called to do. Because at some point in the ministry, at some point where you're at in your life, you're going to get to a point, and I pray, if you find yourself, you're one of the people who are just, I think I know this all already, and I think I'm a good guy, and I'm a good gal, I'm pretty got my life got it all together, and you know, I, I, it's everyone else who's a mess, but I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Well, you, I hope you're, like we find in Romans 7, 24 and 25, where Paul uh, writes to there, the Romans says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, you're going to have to get to the point where you sit there and you recognize how sinful you are, and it's only by the grace of God you've been saved and being used by God in the ministry. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying, and a worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So here we see that, again, one of the key things for the local church is what? To proclaim the gospel. We must get the gospel out to a dying world, a dark and dying world here. And he says right here, a faithful saying, and you'll see this phrase, this is a faithful saying, five times in the three pastoral epistles of Paul. The same thing. This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. And it is. And worthy of all acceptance. Meaning all of you should accept what he's about to say. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Important words here. Because Jesus came to save sinners. Not those living under the illusion of their own righteousness like they're already right with God based on their own efforts and work because they've kept the law. No, he's came to take those who recognize they're sick, they're sinners, and to bring them to the hospital <laughs> to the great physician to be healed. We see that mentioned as a, as a, a, a perfect analogy of the seek needing a physician in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. And since Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
This is the very first necessary qualification for being a child of God. Let me, let me re-say that. If you want to be a child of God and have eternal hope and to be in the, in the family of God, you must recognize you're a sinner that needs to be saved. And if you don't recognize you're a sinner that needs to be saved, you don't meet the qualifications to be saved. Do you understand that? It's not difficult, but many times when you talk to people, you say, do you need to get saved? No, I'm fine. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I've got it all together. But we want and pray at some point they'll come to realize they do need to be saved from their sin. We also see the great danger in taking the term sin and sinner out of our vocabulary. Oh, how many preachers today do not say the word sin or sinner at all in any of their teachings. If you find and you listening to someone online or you come from a church and they never talk about sin, sinner, or hell, th th that is a red flag for you, my brothers and sisters. That, should, that shouldn't happen. Why? Because what happens is they, preachers don't want to offend anyone from the pulpit anymore. I don't want to offend you. I want you to make sure you feel comfortable and you feel goosebumps and love and, and all these things. Well, you should feel those too. That's not a problem. But you should understand those goosebumps, those, those feelings of just of peace and joy should come from the fact that you know you heard that you were a sinner and now you're saved by grace and you, know, you have eternal hope. And that should give you the goosebumps and the, and the peace and the joy and the excitement in your life. But Paul's sitting here saying, I am the chief of sinners. He's not being some super pious, religious kind of thing to say. He genuinely knew he was the chief of sinners. Why? Why? Why, in his, why can he claim that and write? And then God allows him to write this down in words to Timothy and for us today. Because you have to look at the life of Paul. Look at what Paul did. Paul felt so rightly in saying this because he understood it was because of him who brought death to those new believers in Jesus Christ. It was him who imprisoned them and made these Christians, early Christians, suffer because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He persecuted and he chased them down from city to city because they, they followed Jesus. In Acts 26.11, Paul explained to Agrippa that what might have been his worst sin, he actually writes it out of why he knows he's the chief sinner. Why? What it says, it says, And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul forced those Christians in those days to blaspheme Jesus, to, to, to swear and curse against Jesus. Those who found this new relationship and being set free and loving Jesus and their Savior, the Messiah has come, and he, as a religious leader, 
force them to curse and swear against Jesus. He knew he was the chief of all sinners. And only by God's grace, God saved him. And then by his grace and mercy, allow him to be used by God to now reach those who do not know Jesus. Amazing grace. Once was blind and now is seen. Once was lost and now found. Paul knew that it was him. The worst kind of sin is when someone goes against uh, one of God's people. One of the worst kinds of sins is when you want to harm one of God's people. You're messing with God's people when you start coming against them and trying to tear them down and trying to sway them away from the truth or to do or sway him and discourage him in the, in the work that you're doing. He forced them under torture to renounce and deny Christ whom their hearts so loved back in those days. So we must, must take account of our past if we try to keep people from coming to Christ or harm God's people in any way. Now we find here in verse 16, however, for this reason I obtained mercy. He says, I have obtained mercy from God that in me first Christ Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So Paul is saying here, I am an example. I, am, I want you to understand that look at my life, look what God has done in my life, and understand that this is the pattern in my life now following Jesus that is going to help those who were lost. Help those who are given their life, but haven't been growing and maturing in their relationship with Christ. I am a pattern for them. That's what he's saying to Timothy to encourage. Because at first it was Jesus Christ that could show long-suffering. What a beautiful example that how God was long-suffering toward Paul so that he could have that moment on the road to Damascus to get saved. I used to ponder on that a lot when I first got saved because I didn't get saved until my end of my 20s. And I said, Can you, oh, I'm so thankful that God was long-suffering with me. Because what happens if he came back for his church before I got saved? What happens if he wasn't long-suffering and he took my life before I gave, had an opportunity to hear the word of God and give my life to Christ? So he would, Paul's sitting here going, I know by God's mercy that he has allowed me through his long suffering to allow me to have the opportunity to be saved. Now I can be this pattern to those who are going to believe in him, right? He looked at the words, those who are going to believe on him. He wants to be that pattern so that he can look and Timothy can say, even using Paul's life, I know where you came from. I know what kind of a sinner you were like. And I hear your testimony, how bad you were. But God can still use you. God can still enable you to do this work. And this is why 
God loves to save sinners. He loves to save sinners because now he can take your life and become a pattern to those who are going to believe on him in the future. He can see, people can see your testimony of God's grace and mercy. And God wants others to see what he can do through a broken life. God wants to, you to see his power and transforming power in a person's life. Those who follow him based on his truth. Based on this doctrine of salvation. Based on the truth that God is putting out. He wants them. That's why he said in the, in the first 11 verses, guard the truth. Teach the truth. Make sure you get the truth out there. And that Timothy, guard and remain in this, in this, this, this work that I have called you to do. Remain in it. Don't be swayed from it. Don't get passive on it. Don't just sit there in the ministry and do nothing. Be about my work. And watch how lives will be changed and tremendous uh, lives will be a pattern, not only in my, my, for my life, but Paul is saying for all these others that you will reach, Timothy, as a pastor there in that church. Verse 17, now he, we see Paul from just stating this, just stating these two lines. And let me say it again, and you can understand why he says in verse 17. Look at that so you don't miss it. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal. Now he breaks out into praise. He's literally praising God. He's literally saying on words here to Timothy. He says, now to the king of eternal. Now to the king of, he's immortal, invisible. To God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. He breaks out in praise and prayer in this letter based on the truth that he was just writing to Timothy. Are you getting it? When you know who your king is, you know who your God is, who you follow, who Jesus Christ is, it should bring you and I to spontaneous praise and worship and praying upon the truths of who God is, that he's eternal, immortal, invisible. He alone is wise. You're not wise. No one else is wise. Only God is wise in this regards. And be honor and glory forever and ever. It should cause you to praise him right on the spot in the middle of writing a letter. And write it. Next time you're writing a friend who you were trying to reach because they're lost. Or maybe it's a brother and sister who is in the faith, but they're not walking according to the ways of the Lord. And God puts in your heart to write them a letter. Okay, modern, modern vernacular. Text them. <laughs> Send them an email. Okay, most people are not writing letters anymore. But I encourage you to do that too. It's a methodology that's still out there still today. But however you do it, if God all of a sudden causes you to praise him and brings about the characteristics of God, write it in the letter to the person. 
Oh, I am so in good space. Yeah, everything's going great. Well, then what is, why? Why are you being, why, is it, why are you doing so great? Because my king is eternal. My king is immortal. My king is invisible. My king is so wise. My king is to be honored and glorified forever and ever. Amen, so be it. What a beautiful new... Why? Because Paul, he knew God to be the king of eternal. He was ruling and reigning and complete in power and glory. There was no question in Paul's life, in his mind about who God is. Paul, he knew God to be immortal, existing before anything ever else existed. Being the creator of all things, there was no question in his mind. There should be no question in our mind. As a believer, you should have no question in your mind. If you're not, continue to show up. Continue to read the scriptures. He will show you that he is the great creator. He's immortal. He knew God. Paul knew God to be invisible, not completely knowable by us. We can't completely figure out God or know all his wisdom. He is, you can keep searching, you'll keep searching because he is the Alpha and the Omega. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that God alone is wise, that he is God, and he and Paul was not. And when you get that simplicity, that you're not God, and God is God and only God, you'll have a lot of your problems probably solved in your, your life. We think our plans and insights for our life are exactly what you think is, should be happening. Like you're God. And you never did ask God what his plans are for your life. You just assume whatever you get to do that God's just going to be, we'll, we'll just accept it. But Paul knew that God was all wise. Only God really knows and understands all things. That's why we seek after him of all things. And Paul also knew that he, we are to honor and glorify him, knowing all this about God. And because we don't know him very well at times, that's what causes us not to praise him, not to glorify him, because you don't know him real well. And that's why we continue to seek and study his word to know him and understand who our God is. In verse 18, we see, bring us to the third part, and that's the wisdom of Paul, or the third responsibility of the local church. And that is to defend the faith. Yes, you need to know the word of God and teach the word of God, the word of God soundly, a sound doctrine. We are to go out there and spread and share the gospel. We are to do that as a church. And when I say church, I'm talking you individually. <laughs> yes, corporally, but you individually. You're the church. And then we see our third responsibility is defend the faith. And Paul says here in verse 18, this, char this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. He's not lording over Timothy here. He's a son to, Timothy is a son to Paul. He's being firm. He's charged, right? The same word here 
Paraneliga, we saw back in 1 Timothy 1.3, is the same word here, meaning it's a commandment like a superior officer telling the lower ranks, you will do this. I charge you to do the following. But not only is he being firm and direct, he's being very serious with Timothy, but it's full of love. Son Timothy. This is non-negotiable. My son, you need to do this. And Paul wanted Timothy to consider what the Holy Spirit had said to him through the, all of these, these years of time as he's been called to be a pastor. We see here, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good war. So it appears that God had used people in Timothy's life to speak this prophecy to him that God was going to use him in the ministry and to do a great work for God in the ministry. And Paul is reminding Timothy, according to these prophecies that were previously made concerning him, that this should encourage him to continue to stay there and remain in Ephesus and do the good warfare that he's going to have to go against. It's like a soldier. He's going to be a good soldier. He's got a mission. He's got a position. He's got a place that God's called. Or the superior officer, God himself, has placed him. He is to be faithful in the ministry, the mission that he's given, been given, and to do it according to God's way. And to, it's going to be a war, but you're going to stay strong because I'm going to give you all the ability and the strength to do it, to deal with it. What was he dealing with? Well, he was dealing with false teachers, false prophets, false Christ. People were coming in and trying to destroy the, the, the ministry. But Paul's here reminding Timothy to be, remain in the ministry because this is what God's called him to do. And God had spoken to Timothy, it appears, through others with the gift of prophecy to do that. And we know in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, those who are given the gift of prophecy, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Some of you may have, have the gift of prophecy, we, give, we get spiritual gifts when we're saved, gift or gifts. And one of, some of you may have been given the gift of prophecy where God just uses you in just a, such a simple, free way of just a, in, in, in edifying and in exhorting and, and comforting men and women uh, using the scripture. Now, one of the things we have to watch out for, because some of this, as uh, Satan loves to twist things and, and move away from the truth, uh, first of all, we shouldn't think it's strange for someone to say, I, I have a, you know, a, God has put on my heart to, to tell you something. And God can use people. That's why we don't want to forsake the fellowship. We want God to, to, to speak to us through others in a prophetic manner. Why? Because it's biblical and it's good and it's right. But we should, when someone comes up and says, I have a prophetic word for you, you must and I must take care to test all prophecy, as we know in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, according to both the word of God and to the witness of the Holy Spirit in others. You just don't sit there and hear the prophecy and automatically just go run with it. 
you must test all things because maybe that was not from the Lord. Because I assure you, if God is showing something to someone to tell you, he is not going to hold back not telling you directly too. As you're in the word of God and as you're in prayer, he's going to show you. It's going to be just probably a confirmation to you what God's already showing you. But you're not willing to take a step of faith because you're not sure if it's from God. And all of a sudden now God uses someone else to confirm what he's calling you to do. We also must be on guard when it comes to prophecy. When someone comes up with some extravagant prophecy that says, you're going to have the most powerful ministry in the world, man. It's incredible. I see this vision and you're going to go around and you're going to do this and that. Be very careful of that as well. Because they do that to manipulate. And so you just have to be careful in regards to that kind of manipulation why? Because it becomes very awkward. How do you? I know God told me to tell you this. <laughs> it's, it's always a fun conversation when you look at them, and unless it's completely against the word of God. You know, you're just like, okay, what do we do with that? Okay, thank you for telling me this. Okay, I, at some point, God's going to tell me too, you know, right? He's not going to leave me out of this phrase. You're telling me this is what I'm going to be doing, right? But if it goes clearly against the word of God, you say, get behind me, Satan. That is not from God because it goes contrary to the word of God. That's why it's important. You know the word of God. And if you're not sure, you go and seek after in the word of God and to confirm if this is of God or not. And I assure you, I think it's more likely if someone's going to give you a prophecy, it's, it's really confirmation or confirming something God's already showing you. Why? Because there's a warfare out there. And Paul's not really trying to tell Timothy you're going to get your eyes off of what's important and get yourself all into the prophetic stuff that's going on. No, Paul is really just saying, just reassuring him and encouraging him what already things that God has already confirmed in his life to do and remain in Ephesus, remain in the ministry, remain doing what God has called him to do, remain in being faithful, remain in doing these things. Do and continue to do what God's already been confirming to you in so many different ways. Fight the good fight. That's what he says. Wage the good warfare. Fight the good fight, Timothy. You need to remain in battle. You're a soldier. Remain in, you're in the Lord's army. Continue to be there. Don't run. Don't take the easy path. Don't take the comfortable path. Don't take the carefree path. You must be in battle. It's going to take effort and emphasis to do what God's called you to do. You must defend the faith that people are going to try to take down. You must defend the faith. If God's for you, who can be against you? Verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some having re rejected concerning faith have suffered shipwreck. <laughs> kind of like this term. You know, if you go against God, and you're, you're not faithful, and you're not staying consistent, going, moving forward with what God's doing, if you, your faith becomes weak and you don't have a good conscience going on, you're going to have a shipwreck of a life. <laughs> so it's kind of a nice way, it's kind of a gentle way. When you look at someone's life, you're in a shipwreck, man. You've been in a shipwreck. It's a nice way of saying you're really messed up. But Paul here, I love this, and, I, and it's encouraging. He gives Timothy, this young, uh, his right-hand man in the ministry, he gives him two tools to remind him, to encourage, to move forward. Look at what the two tools he gives him. 
Two essential items he reminds him. Having faith and a good conscience. Paul spells out more in detail in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17, what it takes as a Christian to be equipped for spiritual warfare. But here in this letter, he only gives two essential items and they're paired up. They're kind of, they go pairing very well together. And they pair together because faith and a good conscience are essential for battling for the Lord. They project against the spiritual attacks of doubt and condemnation. Most people will not keep moving forward in the ministry when it gets tough because they have doubt is creeped in or they're being condemned by the enemy. Those two things will hinder someone continuing to move forward. But Paul says to Timothy, be careful when you're going into the, uh, in the warfare, there's going to be attacks, and don't forget faith and a good conscience. Timothy had to have the faith that God was in control there in Ephesus and doing the work that he's called to do. When we're doing the things that God's called us to do and things don't line up the way you want them to line up, something's, the enemy's coming after you, whatever, you must have faith, the fact that God is in control of the situation at hand so that you're not swayed from doing what God's called you to do. Because I assure you, you'll be in the ministry long enough, people will come against you. And if you take your eyes off of God and put it on the situation of that person, it will hinder you or paralyze you for continuing to move forward. If you keep your eyes and say, no, God, this is what you're called. You're in control. I keep moving forward with or without person. That's okay. I'm, I'm going to continue to be faithful in what you call me to do. And you just keep pressing forward. Not only that, the fact that God is in control, but Timothy needed to know in, by faith that God was going to guide him as he continued to seek Jesus Christ. Because he needed to learn, in Proverbs 3 and 5 6, lean, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. He is the guide of your life. He is in control. That is how you have a strong faith to do what God's called you to do in motherhood or fatherhood or wherever you work or wherever you serve, whatever you're doing that God's called you to do in those different ministries that he had you in. And two, he had to have a good conscience. He had to have that tool because his enemies would be attacking him if Timothy had conducted himself in an unright, unrighteous way, it opens up a little crack of the door so the enemy can come in and condemn you for falling short. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Do you understand that? It's so easy for us to say, yes, I'm not perfect. But it's more difficult for you to find the fact that someone you're trying to work with is not perfect. You expect perfection from these people. No, we have to have a good conscience because Paul had to, I mean, Timothy had to understand. Paul was trying to encourage Timothy, make sure you have a good conscience. When you fall asleep or through the day, you know you have done 
What God's called you to do, your conscience is clear. If there isn't clear, then God's going to convict you. You confess it and you get right with God. And if you have to get right with someone else because of that situation, you go make it right. But he had to have a good conscience because if not, then the enemy is going to come in and he's going to convict him and he's going to condemn them. I should say the enemy will come in and con condemn Timothy and that will cause Timothy to what? Stop doing what God's called him to do. He won't remain in Ephesus. He won't remain in the ministry. He won't remain in doing the task that he was supposed to do. He will fall. He'll stop. He'll start finding excuses why he's not faithful and following through and doing what he's doing. He's just a passerby. He's just watching from a, letting everyone else do and just kind of letting it go by. Whatever it may be for you, we must not find yourself in a shipwreck. You must come back to Christ. You must keep your eyes on Christ and continue to press forward in the battle. Keep the faith Keep a good conscience and watch God just continue to work through this. Because if you're not, you're heading for suffering, Paul says to Timothy. It's suffering like a shipwreck. It'll ruin you for sure. You'll sink. <laughs> you don't want to sink in this life. And lastly here, verse 20. Paul gives Timothy two examples of, of people who did not keep the faith and have a good conscience. And they shipwrecked. What are, who are they? It says right here, of whom are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul says, as, as an apostle, I had to do an apostolic discipline upon these two men because they were... They were not doing what they were supposed to do. And what did he say? What we really know here is that we don't know anything about these two men. <laughs> Except the fact that they weren't doing it God's way. And Paul had to step in as a, as a leader, as the senior pastor here. And he's telling Timothy as an example, these two guys I had to deliver to Satan. Now he's not delivering to these two men to evil. He says, I delivered him to Satan, meaning I had to kick him out of the ministry. I had to tell him, you cannot come in fellowship with us anymore. You want the world? You want to act like the world? You want to cause division? You want to spread false information or whatever it was causing these pain? You just go out there in the world and play in the world. Why? Because that's the world that Satan controls. You're in his territory and you're going to have to deal with Satan. Why? Because he says... That they may learn not to blaspheme, not to curse and swear against Jesus Christ, to go against the faith, to go against God's way. And it's not easy. Paul's heart is to love the people and to encourage them and to help them to grow and mature in their faith and their walk in the ministry. But some people, again, are not teachable. Some people want what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And if they don't agree with your doctrine, like my, it's not my doctrine, it's God's doctrine. I'm just teaching you the word of God. But they want you to follow their doctrine. Paul had to step up and he had to tell Timothy, here's a couple examples who they need to learn. 
You can go out and go out there in the world and you'll learn very quickly that it's not good. Why? Because people don't understand, and I love the fact that Paul's really giving an emphasis here. People don't understand that when you're in fellowship with believers, there's a protection by God. When you don't fellowship with God, God's people, you are going out and you're going to be at risk in this world. Did you know that? I don't encourage this at all. But for those who chose not to fellowship and avoid the fellowship or don't want to be around God's people, and it's okay, we'll just do our own little religious thing in our, just in our family. We, we don't need to be part of a fellowship and around other godly people. We'll be just fine. Find someone like that that is willing to tell your, their testimony to you that that was the most miserable life they ever lived, not being in fellowship with God's people. Because it is. Paul is saying, if you're not careful and you go against God, he had to step up and tell Timothy, I had to, to learn by discipline. He said, I had to learn by discipline. That's what the word learn in the Greek there. To learn by discipline that what they're doing was causing problems within the fellowship with other saints. And Paul certainly was not a man who would... Uh, be passive and not tell the truth to someone who's doing something wrong. We know in Romans 6, 17, Paul was not afraid to point out the opponents for uh, people who were going against the truth. He said that you need to get yourself back in line because uh, what you're doing is not right and, and that's the way it is. And there's no question about it. There's no debate about it. There's no... <laughs> He was a strong man. There's no question about it. But he's like, if you're not in the protection of God, if you're, if you're wanting to do your own thing, you do have to understand Satan will kind of come after you. Ask Job. <laughs> ask Job. He had to ask permission, but God said, okay, go do what you need to do. In Luke 22, verse 31, 32, we see that Satan will attack. And we must be aware of that. And that's why we need to stay very close to the Lord and with the Lord's people. And so we'll wrap it up here on the last couple of thoughts here. And that is, let me summarize what were the key points in chapter 1 that Paul was telling Timothy to remain in. We need to remain in, he says to, to Timothy, because the people that God's called you to minister to needs to know the truth. We saw that in verses 3 through 7 last week. You need to stay there, Timothy. You need to remain in Ephesus. You need to remain in the ministry because people need to hear the truth. Also, because you, you minister in a hard place. We see that in verses 8 through 11. It's a hard place that I know that I'm asking you, Timothy, to continue to be faithful in serving. It's not easy in that community. It's dark. They don't want anything to do with it. I understand it's hard, but that's why you need to remain. You need to remain in the ministry and doing that. And we also, he, he said in verses 12 through 16, God uses unworthy people. I need you, Timothy, to continue to reach everybody and anybody because he uses unworthy people, just like you, just like me. Continue to remain in, and be faithful. We saw in verse 17 that because he, we serve a great God, Remain in the ministry because you serve and I serve a great God. 
Don't let other things sway you from serving a great God. Verse 18 we saw, because you're in a battle and you cannot surrender. It's not negotiable. You cannot surrender. We recognize you're in a battle. Timothy, I know you're in a battle. I'm in a battle. Stay there. Remain in it. Why? Because you cannot surrender to the enemy. And then first, finally in verses 19 through 20, because not everyone else does. He's basically encouraging Timothy, not everyone else, and I gave you two examples, Timothy, not everyone else will be willing to continue to, to be faithful in the ministry. But I need you to stay faithful, Timothy. Remain in Ephesus. Remain in the ministry. Remain teaching the, the word of God. Remain sharing the gospel. Remain in defending the faith. This is what I need you to do, Timothy. And I want to encourage you as well. Those are the three things as a local church we must do. Keep reading and sharing the truth to anyone God brings across your path. Continue to share the good news, the gospel with those who are unsaved. And keep defending the faith. Don't let others tell you things that are true, that go contrary to the word of God. Don't allow that to happen. The propaganda machine is unbelievable. But even one-on-one, -on -one, that coworker on the roof, you must defend the faith. You have the truth that set you free and can set that man free as well on that roof. Just keep defending the faith.